I want you to know something that on this Thursday night, and I know this is in the church bulletin, but on this Thursday night, we're going to welcome new people into our church. Um, if you've been here the last uh, several months or so and, and uh, would like to just kind of fellowship with other people that are kind of new in the place and like you are, we want you to come on Thursday night, 6.30. We're going to have a delicious dinner. It's going to be a fabulous meal. And uh, all you need to do is let us know. And the sort of the cutoff deadline on this thing is... Uh, uh, Tuesday at 5 o'clock. So you can, if you've got one of these cards, you can fill that out. You can drop it off at the information desk in the back or give us a call here at the church. It doesn't matter. And we want to accommodate you. We want to accommodate your family, your children too. And uh, they're going to have a separate kind of a pizza party type thing. And we want you to come and be a part of this. And uh, uh, just... Uh, to kind of experience some of the things that's going on here at Faith Community Church. We're glad that you're here this morning and we're thankful for you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And I'm going to begin reading a couple, three verses here beginning in verse 10. I'm going to return to this psalm a little bit later on in the message, but I'm going to begin here and... Um, just share with you three verses, powerful, very powerful verses from Psalm 51. The Bible says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast away me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of of your salvation. Folks, I honestly believe that I could spend uh, an easy month or two preaching just from Psalm 51. There, this thing is just, uh, of all of the chapters of the Bible, this thing is absolutely, uh, the Holy Spirit took this thing and just stuffed it full of good things. I want to talk to you this morning about repurpose in your life. Repurposing things is a big deal anymore, isn't it? Uh, we've got a picture that'll come up here that, uh, don't, I, I don't know if you can see that, but on the, on the right, um, when I was 14 years old, I bought an old Model A, it was a 1928 Model A Ford, and I paid 40 bucks for it. And quite honestly, this, that one on the right looks about like my $40 Ford. Uh, I'm not kidding you. My, my, dad, my dad would help me to get it started by pulling it behind, behind the tractor. And we would get it started. Now the trick was to hit the clutch and the brake before I ran into the back of the tractor and everything like that. But that whole thing would run. And then once we got it going, we didn't want to shut it off either. Unless we wanted to go through that thing again. It didn't have a starter, but I didn't have a battery. Um, so, but anyway, uh, I had so much fun in that car, and, and uh, it occupied, my, my dad had a, had a two-car garage, and it occupied one stall of it, which meant my dad's pickup had to set outside. And, but anyway, we restored it to what it looked like on the left, and uh, completely restored it, and uh, it, uh, it looked brand new. And I loved that car, had so much fun in it, all the girls in high school wanted to ride in it. 
that worked out pretty good. Joan even wrote in it. <laughs> she was just a kid then, but uh, anyway, we had a lot of fun. It had a running board. And uh, in those days, I, I, I don't know if you could do this today or not. I'm sure some uh, law officer would stop you from doing I mean, we'd go down Main Street with somebody on the running boards and everything like this. And <laughs> we just had a lot of fun in that car. I had to sell it. Uh, I had to sell it, unfortunately, and, and because I was going to college, and I needed money, and it went. I was sad to see it go. I wish I had it back, but uh, that's just one of those things. And uh, there's another slide I want to put up here. These are, this is real popular today, taking down these old barns. They take these barns down, and then creative people create things out of the boards and stuff like that, just amazing uh, uh, the things that they put together and create out of stuff that <clears throat> is basically discarded. You see where I'm going in this message? I want you to understand that the Bible, so much of the Bible revolves around personalities. Those personalities begin in Genesis chapter 1 and they literally go through the entire length of the scripture. Most of the time when you read a biography uh, of a person, it generally uh, highlights mostly all of the good things of that person's life, all of the accomplishments, all of the positive characteristics and traits of that individual's lives. When you go to the Bible, the Bible treats personalities somewhat different. It doesn't shy away from speaking about the positive things, but it also doesn't hesitate to point out the things that need change, that need, uh, that, that honestly need God to attend to it. And uh, all of these things. It tells the truth about men and women. It tells, uh, it tells about the good side and the bad side, the good and the evil and all of these things. And the Bible paints for us uh, uh, just literally a canvas of human nature. And it's all there. You want to go into, in fact, I just saw, this is old, but, uh, and I don't own the, I think I do own this book, by the way. And somebody has creatively written uh, a wonderful book, and it's titled, All of the Bad Girls of the Bible. Now, doesn't that get your attention? I want to find out about the bad girls of the Bible. We hear about Mary and all of that, and she, she's just painted as a saint and all of these things. What about the bad girls? And there are 12 of them. Well, there's probably more than that, but he picked out 12 and wrote about them, and it's just a fascinating, fascinating book. And the Bible doesn't hold back on telling us about the good and the bad and all of the, all of the stuff in between. Sometimes I get a question from time to time, an important question about, and it goes something very simply like this, are Christian people allowed to fail? And if they fail, what happens then? You know what, that's a good question. And I, I, I'd like to try to answer that this morning. I want to do my best to try to provide some answer and and some framework to that. Does God, does, God, does God just drop the curtain 
on that person's life, and you're done. You're on the shelf. I may love you, but I'm not going to do anything with you. And you're benched, and you're not going to get off the bench. Is that, is that God? Is that how he does it? And I'm kind of convinced that in some people's minds, that is what they're thinking. I did this in the past. I did this or that or whatever it is. And God's just, you know, I can't be used. And I wanted to see if we can change that thinking of that failure that maybe happened years ago or maybe just this past, maybe just yesterday itself. I spoke to people who have made bad decisions. You thought it was right at the time, but it just turned out to be bad. It just didn't work. It might have been a career choice that, unfortunately, today it leaves you just in a dead end. It might have been a business venture that's now on the verge of collapse. Maybe it was a relationship, and that relationship just simply died. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of, all kinds of uh, venues and tracks that you can take up on this. What does God do when, and say to people who have come up short? Does God still love that person? Can God still trust that person? I think when you carefully read the Bible, this Bible is going to show you a number of people who fell into failure and fell into literally what I would describe as defeat. But it is also a record of God's redemptive purpose. It is, uh, it is God's desire to restore. It's God's desire to help people to rebound. And not only rebound, but then to serve him successfully. That's the God of this Bible. I want you to know that. The God of this Bible does not give up on people. I might give up on people. And perhaps you have given up on people too. And that's very easy to do. It's very common. But I can tell you this, God has not given up on people. God may get very frustrated with people <laughs> if, if God does get frustrated. And God may do a number of things in people's lives to try to steer them and guide them into a proper perspective and a direction with God, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't throw in the towel and say, that's it. Because on the three people that I've chosen to, to just sort of couch some ideas around this morning, God could have easily, and I would have probably too said, that's it, you're done. You've stepped over a line. You're, we're not going any further with you. And this message is about repurposing. Repurposing. I thought about calling it rebooting, which is sort of a computer term of the 21st century. But I thought maybe not everybody understands. Maybe when they think of rebooting, I'm thinking about giving somebody a, a kick like that. I, I don't want you to do that. If you have a computer, you might have had to reboot your computer which means you sort of start over from square one and the thing gets going again right. God does that with human lives and maybe this is uh, why this is a, a specialness of God that he wants to repurpose lives. My first, my first person shows up in Genesis chapter 25 and his name is Jacob. I call him Jacob the deceiver. 
And this guy is a real character, a real character. His whole family is a real character. I would call him the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of the, uh, of the Old Testament. He's both good and bad. He rises and falls. He has failures and inconsistencies with God through a major portion of his life. <clears throat> and yet he's called God's chosen instrument. Now how does that work? Jacob had a many-sided life. He was also a man of deceit. He was a man of prayer. His inconsistencies were amazing. And I mean, they were wide-ranging. Man of deceit, man of great prayer. And when Jacob prayed, God showed up. When he deceived people, I'm telling you, it was a mess. And how that all got going. Now, Jacob's mother was Rebecca. Now, she's an interesting person all by herself. Rebecca always favored Jacob over Esau. Esau and Jacob were twins. They were born at the same time. And this has led to a lot of problems. Esau was an outdoors guy. He loved the outdoors. He loved to go out hunting. He loved to go on these expeditions and go out for days and days at a time and come home with a wild game and all of that. And his dad, Isaac, loved that. Just loved that. Jacob was a different guy. Jacob wasn't outdoorsy. He stayed indoors. He watched the cooking shows. <laughs> and the reason I know that is because he, he cooked up a very special meal, some stew. And it smelled great. We had some stuff last night that Joan cooked up. It was just great. And uh, we, it was this stew, and Je Esau came in from his hunting expedition, and he was just starved. And here comes the old deceiver, Jacob. And he says, I want some of that stew. Jacob says, oh, okay, I'll give you some, but I'd like your birthright. That's okay with me. I want the stew. Here's the birthright. He despised his birthright. Matter of fact, the Bible says that. It wasn't a good thing for Esau to do. Esau was first born. He was going to get uh, some special favorable rights with the family. Uh, however, Jacob uh, got him, conned him into this. It was a con job. And the Bible says in, East, in Genesis 25, 34, Esau despised his birthright. But that wasn't the end. It keeps on going. <clears throat> when it came time to bless his children, old Isaac, old Isaac couldn't hardly see anything. And so by feel, he felt, he, he thought, you know, I'll tell the boys apart because Jacob has real smooth arms and Esau has these real hairy kind of arms. And he says, I'll tell the boys that I'm going to bless Esau. <coughs> so his mother, Rebecca, gets Jacob all kind of dressed in some kind of skin and everything. The old duffer, he doesn't know any better. And um, he blesses Jacob. Because he thought, does this sound like a soap opera? I mean, it's all in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And we got ourselves a soap opera going here. And all of this going on here. And uh, that's just one segment of it. Esau said to Jacob, he says, you need to go find a wife. And I don't want you to get a wife among all these women around here. Because they're all wicked people. I want you to go to your uncle Laban. And guess what? Let me tell you something. If you're a deceiver, 
And I don't think we have any in this church. So, and that's good. So you can take this out of the church <clears throat> to your deceiver friends. <coughs> but you know what? Here's, here's what I tell you. If you're a deceiver, you're going to find somebody eventually along the way that's better at it than you. And Jacob found Laban, his old uncle. And his uncle just really got him. He got a wife out of the deal. It took him 14 years of hard labor. But he got a wife. Actually, he got two wives. They're two for one. And uh, we, don't, we don't advocate that anymore. So, I mean, we're <laughs> I said that for the sake of our guests. I'm sure the people that go here every day know it. But this kind of deception went on through Jacob's life. It was always going on. He was always in one deception after another and everything until one night he came face to face with what is called the angel of God. And that was God. And God spoke into Jacob's life. He spoke into his life and he said, just so that you can remember this moment, I'm going to touch your leg, your thigh. And he put it like it is out of joint. And Jacob walked around with this limp for the rest of his life because God put his leg out of joint so he would remember. You know, some people, it takes that. And he also said, Jacob, you're not, not going to be the deceiver anymore. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Israel. And that's the first time in the Bible that the name Israel is mentioned. God took an old deceiver, an old conniver, an old guy that played it fast and loose with the truth, liked to deal with stuff under the table. And he says, I'm going to use you, Jacob. In fact, I'm going to give you a brand new name, Israel. And God used him. He's one of the patriarchs that we know of the Bible. God repurposed Jacob's life. He repurposed it. And that's because at that point God spoke into his life. You see, to me what's exciting about the church service this morning is that God wants to speak into somebody's life. You walked in here thinking it's church, it's Sunday, it's 10 o'clock. I'm going to sit down, we'll sing, we'll sing, and all of this stuff, and out we go again. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe the opportunity is here today that God is going to repurpose because he's going to speak into somebody's life. He's going to talk to you. And you're going to hear it. And it's that still small voice that while you sit here, nobody else can hear it. Nobody knows what's going on, but you do. I'll tell you, you do, because there's something inside you that's stirring, that, that God is speaking, because he wants to repurpose our lives. Well, I go from David, or to, I'm sorry, I go from Jacob to David. David the psalmist, David the great king of Israel. But take a close look at David. And you're going to discover that there was more than one time that David had a spectacular error in judgment and even sin. But the most notable, of course, is his sin of adultery 
and the sin of, he arranged a murder. That's pretty tough stuff, folks. That ranks him right up there among the head of the criminals. However, God, David found a way back to God and, and was later known as a man after God's own heart. Think of that. A man after God's own heart. And this guy's, this guy's out here doing an adultery thing. He arranged for a murder, a hit, and all of this. And then God turns around and says, this is a man after my own heart. How does that work? I'm going to tell you how it works because David wrote about how it works. Make sure you're in your Bible and follow me here in Psalm 51. This is how it worked for David. And I guarantee you this is how it can work for any person in this room, any person in this world. It can work the same way God is at work here. And he, this is a powerful psalm. Listen to it very carefully. Have mercy on me. I'm starting in verse 1. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your mercy, blot out my transgressions. In other words, the word right there, the transgression. Blot out the rebellion that's in my heart. This is David saying this. David is talking about himself. And he said, I've got rebellion in my heart. Rebellion. I know we, I, sin sounds bad. But I think rebellion sounds worse. But sin is just that. It's rebellion. David says, blot out my transgression. Then he says, he says, wash me thoroughly. My, my soul is stained with sin. My soul is stained. Wash it out. Cleanse me from my sin. Go down to verse 3, the last part. And my sin is ever before me, and against you, and only you, I have sinned. Folks, it's not a matter. It's bad to sin against your family, your friends, your wife, all of these other things. But the worst of it all is you sinned against God. You've got to talk to God first. We deal with God first. And he tells, he tells us right here in his word here, he says, my sin is always before me. A little bit earlier in one of his writings, he said, I let this thing go in my life, and I just, I tell you what, he uses a weird little term. He says, my life, in my life, my bones were roaring. That's kind of a strange little way to put it. But it, in other words, he was so distressed that this thing was just grinding away inside of his life, just constant, every day, every day, grind, grind, grind. And he couldn't get away from it. I mean, he would try all kinds, I just can't get away from it. And David says here, my sin is always before me. Go to verse 7, listen to this. Purge me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And I've told many of you this before. There's a, this is kind of a Hebrew oddity right here. It means, it tells me, wash me. In other words, unsin me. Are there people here this morning and you'd say, you'd call out to God and say, Father, would you unsin me? Unsin me. 
unsend me. That's what David was crying out to God. Unsend me. He says, make me <clears throat> hear joy and gladness. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Restore to me joy. Folks, when we live with sin, when we live with this craziness of life and all of the things that we sometimes accumulate, there isn't a whole lot of joy in our salvation. There's not a whole lot of joy in coming to church. Because one of the things that's going to happen when you come into a good church like this, the Holy Spirit is the first thing you're going to do. He's going to convict you of something. He's like, why is that happening? It's because God loves you. It's because God cares enough about you that he desires to speak into people's lives. And so it was with David. David had a great comeback. He came home to God. He called out for forgiveness. Friends, God is, just in case there's somebody that might be here in the room today and you say, Pastor, you don't honestly understand the stuff that I've been involved with. You don't understand the, the, the level of sin, the depth of my sin. Let me tell you something, folks. God has been watching over this whole world for a long time. You're not going to surprise him. You're not going to shock him. You're not going to knock him off his throne by what you've been up to or anything like that at all. He's been trying to take care of his imperfect people for an awful long time. And I tell you what, if you just simply do what God says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No questions asked. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to repurpose you. I'm going to give your life a reboot and give you a new opportunity. I'm going to give you a fresh start. I'm going to give you the thing that you have longed for, but maybe we're afraid to ask. I'm going to give that to you today. I pray that somebody in here today will take advantage of God's willingness to repurpose your life. Listen to him as he speaks to you. Finally, let me speak briefly about Peter from the New Testament. Folks, I do not believe <clears throat> anybody could ever doubt the sincerity and the zeal and the passion Peter had for serving the Lord Jesus. Peter was one of these guys, if he was on your team, he was 100% there. He was there. Man, a great passion. Great passion. Peter was a leader. He was a person of great charisma. He had a powerful personality. But when the chips were down, oh, did Peter, did Peter just, he, he just flopped. And it was a disastrous thing. He tried to take matters into his own hands in Gethsemane and attack a servant. And Jesus told him, don't do that. That's not how we do things. We don't live by the sword. He became defensive in the courtyard of the high priest when a servant girl identified him 
as one of Jesus' disciples, and then Peter really blows it and denies Jesus three times. Three times. I thought about that. You know, this week I thought about that several times. And let me just share a thought with you on this. I wonder if Peter would have denied Jesus if his friends, James and John, were with him. Peter was alone. But if James and John were with him, I wonder if Peter would have went through with that one and everything. It's just speculation. Because I tell you this, peer pressure is very powerful. He would have been with his friends, and it becomes very easy to just go along with the crowd. And that night, the crowd was not good. The crowd was evil. The crowd had wickedness attached to it. And it was very easy for Peter to just drift along on that thing. And all that that happened. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It is when we are alone that we are the most vulnerable. That's why wolves scatter the sheep, so that they can find the one that is alone and attack that one. They are not going to attack the flock. They will attack the one that is alone. That is alone. When you're cut off from others, you're bound to have an attack. Listen to me carefully. You don't do this Christian life alone. You don't do it alone. We need one another. We need each other. We need the encouragement. We need the help to bear one another's burdens. And the one who's out there doing it alone is a target. You've got a target on you. And the enemy is not afraid to pull the trigger on that one and take you out. Peter hit the bottom that night. He fled into the darkness and there was absolutely nothing he could, could ever overcome the memory of that, of, that, uh, of that horrendous moment in the courtyard. Nothing. But God is in the business of restoration. And that's exactly what happened in Peter's life. Peter heard about the resurrection. Peter even saw, but that, that night was locked into his head and he was a driven person because of that because of, because of the terribleness of that denial and then he says we're going to go fishing that's a natural thing to say go back to what you know what to do we're going to go fishing so they went fishing and guess who showed up that morning for breakfast it was Jesus and it was very important for him to be there because Jesus needed to have a conversation with this great, charismatic, energetic, zealous leader that he needed for his church. And the question was simple. Do you love me more than these? And Peter had to answer that in front of his friends. A humbling moment then feed my lambs and that's exactly what he did there was restoration there was repurposing in Peter's life God is as I mentioned is in the business of restoring that word restore in the New Testament is a powerful word it means to mend the net or set the bone 
And here's what I believe is a problem. For some people, they have never been mended and they've never been set properly. And you carry with you the effects of brokenness. You carry with you the effects of hurt and maybe even the effects of shame. God wants to set that bone. God wants to mend that net that's around your life, that is called your life. God wants you to know there is a spiritual healing and a restoration that's available to every person. That means you don't have to hobble about as a spiritual cripple, <clears throat> but God is able to, <clears throat> to restore you to full fellowship in this thing. And I believe there's so much potential in the body of Christ. It's incredible. It's amazing what's in the body of Christ. And yet sometimes these opportunities are cleverly covered up and cleverly disguised as problems and issues of the past and all of these things. God wants to restore. God wants to repurpose. God wants to redesign your life if that is necessary. If God can take a Jacob, a deceiver, and repurpose his life and redesignate his life, then God can do that to you. If God can take a guy like David, who actually committed criminal acts, and repurpose his life and make him great, then God can do that for you. If God can take a guy like Peter, and take all of, that, all of that zeal and all of that charisma that's bundled into his life, and yet there was a collapse, then God can take you and lift you up just like he did Peter. That's the power of God. You can't do it yourself. You can't find yourself a psychologist and sit in that psychologist's office for probably years and years and years and years and get to the place where God can bring you today in a moment. As he engages your life, as he touches your life, as he powerfully helps you to become the overcomer, the one who is victorious, the one who will live with purpose that he declares into your life. That's what God can do today. But I've got to let him. Donnelly, could you come back, please? Think of what might have happened if people... <coughs> we spoke of people who miss what God was doing. I can tell you this, we will never know God's best and, and, and tell best if we quit. Don't be a quitter out here. Quit quitting. Stop quitting. Stop it. Stop it. Don't keep looking back. Don't keep looking back on all your failures, all, your, all the stuff. Don't keep bringing it up all the time. When, when, whenever you think God wants you to do something, but, 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 this is in my past. This is a part of my history. This is a part of my life. Stop it. Just stop it. Our God is a God of repurpose and restoration. Our God is not a God of, here, let's roll out the history of your life first before we do anything at all. That's not how it's going to work. God is the master of repurposing. He wants us to take us beyond our, our immaturity, 
our temptation, our bitterness, our trials, our failure, our guilt, our shame, all of this stuff that sometimes gets plugged into life and he wants to guide us. He simply wants to guide us and be with us. Touch our life, the flashback of something happening, of something right now is God's signal that he wants to repurpose in your life. Would you stand with me, please? Let me tell you something, folks. The repurpose that God wants to accomplish in your life, hear me very carefully, the repurpose that God wants to accomplish in your life all begins with number one, forgiveness. David found that out, David wrote about it. David told us all about it, I read the text. It starts with forgiveness. God, will you forgive me? The second thing, it's very closely related, but it's a willingness, a willingness to let God forgive and a willingness to let God repurpose and redesign the best thing in your life. There has to be a willingness. It's not going to happen just because we stood up. It's not going to happen because the organ's playing. It's not going to happen because we pray. It's going to happen because you desire. This more than anything in your life. God, repurpose my life. Restore my life. Bring forgiveness into my life. Bring a willingness into my life that my life when I walk out of those doors is going to be different and it changes and it starts right now. Right now. Bow your heads with me, I'm praying. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you today that uh, I thank you today first of all for this message of repurposing our life. Because I believe it's a powerful message that reaches to people. Each one of us can identify with the three people that we've talked about, and, and there are dozens more in the Bible. You repurpose. You restore. You make new. The decisions that we made, maybe bad decisions that we've done, you've, you desire to forgive and you desire to make new. Father, your word says if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us. Help us to have a willingness to do just that. And then allow you to re restore in our lives the things that's been broken, the things that have been shamed, the things that, that we have declared that do not work anymore. Help us, help us to be fresh today. While our heads are bowed in the church, across the congregation, I want to just ask a simple question. I believe this message resonates with people and maybe it was you. And could I just ask you, I want you to just lift your hand and say, Pastor, this, this was a message that is gonna help me that is going to help me change, that is going to turn my life into a different direction.
I want my life repurposed, repurposed beginning today. Would you just lift your hand right now? It's, it's that simple. Thanks, folks. Wow. Father, for every hand that was lifted, I, pray, I just pray right now that there is a praying heart, a praying heart. That's praying, Jesus, help me. I don't want to walk out of this church with a load of failure on my life. I don't want to walk out of this place knowing that the past is just crippling me. I just believe, Father, that I can give to you, and I want to do that. I want to be restored in the joy of my salvation. I want that restoration. I want a clean heart. I know I need to make some decisions, this time good ones, decisions that you're going to guide, help that you're going to provide. Father, if there are people here and they need to give their life to Jesus Christ, help them simply to pray, Jesus, come into my life. Save me from my sin. I accept you as my Savior, my Lord. I know you died for me, but I know you rose from the dead and you live. Live in my life. Create in me that clean heart. Renew a right spirit. And Father, I thank you so much that you do not condemn me, but you love me. And Father, I pray that I will truly live this out in my life. And I'm praying this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.